Yesterday, January 6, 2021, a date which shall forever live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by its own president. For the first time in history, since 1814, when the British burned Washington, the United States Capitol was seized by an army. The Japanese couldn't do it. The Germans couldn't do it. The Confederates couldn't do it. Instead, an angry mob of far-right protesters did so at the behest of President Donald J. Trump, who an hour earlier held a speech near the White House where he called for his supporters to march down to the Capitol to participate in trial by combat if necessary, telling them that they will never take back their country with weakness. The police barricade was minimal, especially compared to the response to the far less violent protests surrounding the death of George Floyd a few months ago, and the protesters forced their way in. They trashed the statuary hall, stood atop the Senate dice, and declaimed rightfully elected politicians, threw over desks, stole documents, and looted the building of valuables. Let's not miss words. This was a terrorist attack and an attempted coup, an insurrection. Indeed, it will be remembered just as Pearl Harbor as one of the darkest days in the history of our nation. The Republic, nonetheless, endures. The senators and congressmen who deliberately opposed the will of the American people and sought to overturn the results of a free and democratic election backed down. After a day, the Capitol was cleared of rioters. Yet, little else has changed. Of the thousands who invaded the building, only 86 have been arrested. Not a single far-right militia has thus been disbanded, not a single investigation launched. Most importantly of all, tens of millions of Trump supporters across the country hold fast to their belief that the election was stolen from them, conjuring increasingly ridiculous theories as to the methods involved. When we were attacked by Japan, we were fortunate to have the most capable and dedicated president in our history at the helm. Today, the enemy is our president. Even in two weeks, a much lesser man than FDR will take charge. How do we move on? How do we, as a nation, escape from the shadow of these four years, and especially these last few weeks? I think that the first thing we need to look at here is actually quite simple. It is the problem that America has on a deeply fundamental level with conceiving of the core issue of right-wing white nationalist terrorism. Today, over 70% of terrorist attacks that occur on American soil are by white nationalist groups that are domestic. But you wouldn't know that from the rhetoric our politicians use and the organizations that are meant to counteract terrorism. The vast majority of funding, and many of these organizations that act as counter-terrorist groups have had their funding slashed by Trump, are oriented upon around defeating uh, radical Islamic terrorism that comes across the border. But again, that's simply not where the threat is. And what we're seeing here is this issue that has gone so long unaddressed finally doing finally getting so bad that even people who have gone out of their way to ignore it have to acknowledge it because the truth is that america has always had a white supremacism a racism problem but for too long it is it has been dismissed as something that isn't a big deal it's a fringe group and generally speaking people like to push it off there's a small group of people who believe this but the truth is that millions of americans not only believe the election was stolen they believe violence is a is an acceptable means to install their preferred candidate. And that has some deeply worrying implications. But the first step to healing is to recognize the cancer. And the cancer, above all else, is the fact that the greatest threat to America today is not a foreign country. It is the very people who reside within it. Because, because the Trumpist movement is, frankly, a fascist movement. There's a person, an ultra-nationalist personality cult which dismisses any any form of media that disagrees with them as an enemy of the people is a fascist movement. And we have to be able to recognize that. And we have to be able to recognize that the right wing of the nation has made its alliance with racism. And the solution, therefore, must not be reconciliation. We cannot reconcile with the very people who attempted to overthrow the government. The first step has to be to isolate the far right and to isolate the far right we have to acknowledge that the far right is a problem but this is worrying considering the fact that president-elect joe biden seems unwilling to go that far instead he condemns the people as not who america is and you hear this is a commonly repeated sentiment across the world but frankly it is what america is 
It is the worst of America, but it has always been there and it will continue to be there. And until we acknowledge it, and until we recognize that this is simply impossible to work with, that the only solution is to isolate and eradicate this racism and this fascism, we will continue to we will continue to create the conditions which will eventually lead to a fascist coup. And then the next time, it may very well succeed. I think I think we would do well here to uh, remember that these four thousand people, five thousand people charged into the perhaps the most holy place in the altar of American democracy, and they defiled it. These people are not brave rebels. They're not some kind of crusader, as they like to imagine themselves. They're thugs. They're fascists. They're criminals. They're insurgents. I think it's time... I've seen a lot of reactions to this thing, you know. And I, there's been main, mainly three axes of argument. One, coming from the far right, that um, even they couldn't excuse their own actions anymore, so they said these were actually Antifa protesters in disguise, which is a theory so ridiculous it uh, boggles the mind. Then there is the, you know, the response of most people, that this is a horrific incident. And then there's the curious center perspective, which states that, you know, these people, they had a legitimate grievance. They um, they were angry, yes. They committed a terrible thing, yes. But we need to look at the causes behind their movement. And we need to examine their, their reasoning, their, their impetus. And I say to that, no, we don't. These people's impetus were very simple. They, were, they wanted to deny an, <clears throat> the democratic will of the American people. Simple. Straightforward. What we have fallen prey to in these past 4, 10, 20 years of American political discourse is the constant need to struggle for a middle. The belief that one side couldn't possibly be so extreme. Essentially, what we have done is the same thing that uh, uh, Chamberlain Daladier told themselves uh, at the New Munich Conference in 1938, that the party sitting right across the aisle from them couldn't possibly be so extreme. They would stop, and eventually everything would go back to normal. But nothing is normal. And it's time we stopped believing in this comfortable little fantasy that there is a middle anymore, that there can be compromise, that there can be a middle ground. A middle ground doesn't exist anymore. It's been obliterated. And if we continue to, uh, and we, if we let this continue, we are, just as Chamberlain Daladier did in 1938, submitting ourselves to fascist dictatorship. The only course of action I see right now, in regards to this current action, is that President Biden, when he does come into office, should invoke the Insurrection Act, arrest all 4,000, 5,000 people who participate in this protest, um, life imprisonment, shot, I don't really care. But, and um, the FBI should rededicate its resources towards hunting down these far-right militias, these terrorist groups, instead of... Um, phantoms of Islamic terrorism in the United States. And in the end, we need to prevent the rise of another lost cause myth. Uh, because when lost causes build up, there it's a it's a tsunami. One comes after the other, one comes after the other, and once you build enough critical momentum, we won't be able to stop it. We have to stem this poison, this, this treason, Right here now. Now, a couple years ago, an interesting thing happened, and that was for one of the first times in American history, all the Democrats were to the left of all the Republicans. The most liberal Republican was still more conservative than the most conservative Democrat. And in that, we see stirrings of something that happened in the 20th century in Spain. We, and now I think it's very accentuated. Back then, they had the two Spains. They had the clericists, the absolutists, the fascists, and they had the communists, the anarchists, and all the rest. And in some way, it's similar here in that half of America lives in one reality. The other half lives in a fundamentally, diametrically opposed reality. Now, we all know how it ended in Spain. And I can't say that I know how we can avert it, but... 
I do see echoes of the Spanish Civil War and its lead up in what we're experiencing now. And I can't say what the solution is, but I do fear. I think we can see a lot, a of, lot historical of historical parallels, parallels here. here. It's truly, it's truly alar alar alarming, alarming how, my, how, my, how many, how many compare compare since, since we could we make, make to, to fail the genes, to, to divide a nation, nation, civil, civil war. war. And, and in the end, in the end you, know, you know, back in, back 2016, in 2016, when, I, when, I, when, we, when were we were all very young, very young you know, you know, we, we said, said and we, we joked that, that there would be a second American, American civil, war, civil war, that there would that be there righteous, would be righteous militias, militias, that this that would this be, be, you know, Third Republic France, all over, all over again. again. Isn't so Isn't much, so of, a much joke of a joke anymore. anymore. Well, I think one thing that has to be mentioned is that the fun the fundamental issue I think that is that plagues, you know. That that is that has come to that has hit the U.S. and and in, you know Harry's comparison Spain, um, and you know if I may bring in the Third Republic uh, as sort of a more optimistic uh, yes in this situation the Third Republic of France which was completely incapable of defending itself against Nazi Germany is the optimistic comparison, um, but the Third Republic had a similar situation uh, February sixth nineteen thirty four the Croix de Feu among um, among other rightist militias including monarchists fascists and various other elements of the far right marched on Paris. Uh, 100,000 strong, and threaten the government. Now, it was a little bit of a happier ending than in Spain, where the country exploded into a civil war that then, you know, a fascist dictator won. When it came to France, um, the government held its nerve and they dispersed. But a lot of that was because the right was far more disorganized in France. And the fact that there was a much stronger... Um, a much stronger left and the center was willing to go with the left. And I think we have to recognize... This is really what's going to determine things about how badly things get. Is Joe Biden, are the sort of the Democratic Party, the sort of moderate wing of the Democratic Party, going to be willing to recognize the situation? Because one of the key things that is often interesting to think about is if you actually look at the history of Spain's governments, they would ricochet back and forth between forming coalitions with the left and coalitions with the right. And they kept legitimizing both. But when the cards were down, the right moved to overthrow, legitim uh, overthrow legitimate democratic governments. And the strength given to them by not being isolated, but rather by being brought in, clearly helped them. So if Joe Biden decides he's going to appeal to the moderates of the Republican Party, he's setting a very dangerous precedent. Because the Republican Party should be treated at this point like a threat to democracy. It is not a democratic party anymore. It is not a party that believes fundamentally indirect governance. It does not believe in any form of democracy. It believes in fascism. It is a fascist party. And so collaboration with that fascist party will only strengthen it. The strength of the French response in that era came from the willingness of the liberals and the, and the, the center party, the radical party, to work with socialists. Even if that meant they had to hold their nose and work with socialists, it allowed them to isolate the far right. And this is what must be done. If the future of the US is to avoid a kind of catastrophic civil war, it must be through working not with the fascists, not rehabilitating the fascists, not bringing the fascists in, but by isolating them and using any other means necessary to pass important legislation. Because if the Republican Party is continue to be legitimized, if we keep acting like it's normal or acceptable for a party to actively foment an anti-democratic insurrection, well, the next one isn't gonna fail. The next one isn't gonna be four or 5,000 people and it's not just going to happen in one place. The fact that a hundred members of the House voted to overturn the results of a legitimate democratic election is one of the most alarming things in the history of the American democracy. Now, I will sing my praises of the American political system. I think, despite its two-party nature and its frequent corruption, it has been the most stable political system, democratic one, in world history. Uh, however... Stability does not mean the republic is invulnerable. We must not fall prey to a false sense of comfort that once Biden takes charge, everything will go back to normal. Now, 
there's been a lot of analyses, especially around 2016, when the Democratic Party was reeling around how Trump could possibly have won, and when the people sought explanations for how this, you know, this racist, fascist demagogue could have seized the highest office in the land. And, you know, there were two conclusions. One, that um, we just weren't appealing to racists and um, economically anxious, quote-unquote, sensibilities as much as we should have been. But the other, I think, is the more correct one, that the government has failed the people. The fundamental problem here, I mean, we can we see only the surface issue, that there's a far-right militia, and honestly, that stuff, it's easier to solve than you'd believe. Grant did it, despite being the most, possibly the most corrupt administration in U.S. history. He just suspended habeas corpus, arrested them all, problem solved. But a much harder thing will be striking at the root of the problem, which is complete political breakdown. The Republican Party has been... Now, I don't think Mitch McConnell is a Nazi, but what he is is a dedicated obstructionist. And this sort of brick wall on governmental function, you know, three government shutdowns in the course of, what, two administrations, is ridiculous. The Democrats should have learned their lesson in 2008, they should have learned their lesson in 2012, but the Democrats are rather like interacting with an abusive girlfriend the Republican uh, or boyfriend the Republican Party. You know, the Republican Party keeps, you know, leaving them on read, not talking to them. They keep behaving like they're antagonists, and yet the Democrats keep coming back for more. And it's time to imagine that. We need to admit to ourselves and to the rest of the world, re- reject this complacent notion that everything is fine because everything is not fine. Nothing is fine. We have to stop this right here now. And we begin that by, I would say, more concrete proposals like removing the filibuster, um, removing the 60-vote rule uh, to sort of uh, to break it, and restricting speech times because no speech realistically can carry out beyond one or two hours. You know, Jason, I will say one thing, which is that I always thought that of all the I had, you know, I always had my grocery list of issues that I thought needed to be addressed. And I always kind of thought that electoral reform was an important one, but it was firmly lower than something like climate change or, you know, amelioration of income inequality. But I think at this point, it may be the number one priority because the truth is the Republican Party understands this. And I think most people understand this. The Republican Party cannot win democratically. The majority of people in the majority of places in the majority of the most economically prosperous areas of the country do not support the Republican Party. Even in supposed Republican strongholds, voter suppression is what holds the party up. And I think we can all agree that as a country, we simply cannot afford for Republicans to return to power. Now, I'm not advocating for banning the party, but I am saying that if we understand that the Republican Party is is a deeply unpopular party, it's a party that cannot win without voter suppression, then the top priority should be to remove that voter suppression, to make sure mail-in ballots are as available as possible, to make election day a holiday, to make so that and make it so that everyone is automatically registered once they turn 18, and to make it so that felons can vote once they've served their time. If we can break down the barriers to voting, we can see more people voting. And the more people vote, the better it is for Democrats. So I think at this point that there's stuff to be done with the filibuster, but the, if Joe Biden were to get one thing done, it would have to be the abolition of the Electoral College and general electoral reform. Now, this is, of course, extremely difficult and honestly kind of unlikely. But I think if you're looking at what will save American democ- democracy, what will 50, 100 years down the line, if we aren't all dead by then, uh, historians look back on and say this was a key turning point in which the American democracy was allowed to continue, it will be when the institutions which have propped up a fascist party are removed, when the Electoral College no longer decides the president, when making making it harder for people to vote is no longer considered acceptable, when gerrymandering is addressed. Because if we don't do it, the Republicans will continue to get elected. And at this point, the country literally, from a climate change perspective and from a democracy perspective, they cannot, the country cannot afford another four-year Republican presidency, let alone a Republican presidency with a majority in Congress 
And of course, we still have to deal with the fact that there's a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, which in and of itself is a major issue. Well, so I see you. I know that Harry and Jason, you both are on the left. So you see, as you said, the Republican Party as directly uh, responsible for much of, you know, the violence that has occurred and the actions of the House Republicans in voting for the objections of the electoral uh, counting as responsible for the violence. And as I quote, Harry, Republican uh, Party as a fascist party. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, okay, I wouldn't go that far. I think that's a going, you know, I think that's going out there. I mean, the, I don't agree with what the Republican congressmen were doing, voting for the objections, like 150 of them voted for like the Pennsylvania objection, I think. They're voting on something, a baseless claim, and pretending that, hey, we're trying to, I don't know, stick up for, you know, maybe there's some fraud, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that, I, I don't I don't agree with them, but I think what they're doing is wrong. But I don't think that and that's in any way encouraging, encourage the kind of violence that we saw at the Capitol. And I don't think that says that they're a fascist party in any sense. I would say, I think the deeper problem you two were alluding to is a frustration, uh, especially on the American left, of not of not being able to get reforms done and obstruction like the filibuster. I agree, the filibuster should go. I think that was a, you know, invented uh, Senate tactic to block legislation. I I agree. That's the kind of stuff should go. But I would say that from the Republican perspective, right, they probably think, well, we are doing all these objections because the left wing policies are also uh, are maybe in their mind crazy or too far, right? That would be that would be the Republican response. And then you just realize that this thing is just a partisan back and forth, that it's really just we've decided that one side is evil and the other side is saint. Whether if you're a Republican, you see Democrats as evil and your side as, you know, both saints and vice versa. I mean, I, I That's, feel like it's- Honestly, I feel like it's a little late for both Snyder stuff now. It's I I, I okay so I, I, like, I would have I would have agreed with you in 2016. I would have agreed with you in 2012. I would have agreed with you even I would have agreed with you even barely in 2020. But now no 2021 things change. There's there's no room for both Snyder shit now. Well, I would say that I mean because, okay. I, I would say the Republicans who supported Trump, I think that they're, I, I don't think that anyone who voted for Trump should have clearly seen this man is not fit for office. Like, but I wouldn't say that, like, everyone in the Republican Party is somehow, like, I don't know, uh, like, they believe they're in, they're in some kind of, like, fascist party. I wouldn't go to, like, those lengths. I don't, I don't, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't hold millions of Americans responsible for the kind of violence that we saw. Because, you know, in a democracy, in, well, in a democratic republic, people are pretty dumb. Right. People vote for all kinds of stuff. Like, I don't I mean, this is, a, you know, an inevitable problem with giving people the right to vote. Yeah, is no, they're I, dumb. I so I don't, I don't well, think it's really fair to do that. I don't think I don't think we should call the American people stupid. But I, I mean, let's be. Yeah, they are. We, we are pretty stupid. I, and myself included. I mean, we're voting for representatives and these representatives are voting on myriads of issues from foreign policy to climate change, etc. Right. It's all sorts of political issues. That a they're not experts in, and then b we're not experts in choosing people who Mohammed themselves are experts. No, I'm not going there. My my major response would be simply uh, government should not be making this kind of legislation. But yeah, yeah. My well, my point, and it should be done on a local level. But my point is, is simply people are American people are not up to the task of choosing their leaders. Same with every other country in the world, where it, inevitably it will collapse. No one is really. It, it's it's a better system, I agree, than say a di- full-on dictatorship or a monarchy. But <laughs> that's a it's rather gonna... cynical. That's a rather cynical perspective, is it not? I mean, but it's true though. Let's. Are you going to dispute that? I mean, it's a very Churchillian argument, but I don't think necessarily that it's. I mean, we we could say that it's it's like the nihilists who go like the universe. You know, we're just a little little sphere floating in the middle. Well, of the that's air. that's not that's not what I mean. What I mean is like. Well, what I'm trying to say is that most people, when they vote for an issue, they're really not informed on the issue. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's that's what I mean. I'm not. I don't mean like the average American is like this idiot, like who doesn't know how to even run his own life. Like I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that most people aren't. You know, 
spending hours of their day researching these topics and making informed decisions. That's what yeah. I'm trying to right. say. Yeah. Like, that, that, and I'm sure, yeah, there are people, millions of Americans, who are, are very informed on these issues and who make good decisions. But, I mean, most people aren't that. And I, yeah. I, this, this back and forth partisanship and this, I, uh, what, what I just saw, forgive me if I know you're going to disagree with me, but there is this labeling of the other party as, okay, clearly the Republican Party has done far worse stuff than the Democrats, especially in the past uh, few months, entertaining conspiracy theories and supporting Donald Trump, which is already a serious problem. But this sort of framework that the Republican Party is totally lost and totally corrupt and totally you know, needs to be destroyed type of thing, this is the kind of rhetoric that ends up destroying the country eventually. Because this will end up in a, you know, partisan arms race. Well, I'm not eventually, it will lead to total destruction. Well, I'm not saying that, you know, there should no longer be a conservative viewpoint. That's obviously impossible. That's democratic suppression. But the Republican Party, its institutions, Mitch McConnell, it's the, the, the system that perpetuates this needs to die. A new conservative party can be reforced from the ashes. I don't care. They des- conservative people deserve a voice. Trumpists don't. And the Republican Party is fundamentally Trumpist right now. I want to say something here, which I think is interesting, which is that Mohammed brought up that there's an increased partisanship that is involved with because the arguments that have been made are deeply partisan. But I, I ask a simple question, which is that is partisanship not justified when one party believes in democracy and one does not? I've always looked at well, it that's, like... Well, that's exactly, that's what, exactly I mean. what I mean. That's exactly well, that, what I mean. But that's the problem. The Republican Party no longer no, believes no. in democracy. No. So when you, say, okay, okay. when you say that I act like they're beyond saving, I do that not because I'm so eager to get rid of the Republican Party. I hate the Democrats, to be clear. I do not think... I despise almost every Democrat. Pretty much every Democrat. But that's not the point. The point is that I recognize that fundamentally, the Democrats are, though flawed, fundamentally believe in democracy. But Republicans don't. When the Democratic results of an election are inconvenient, they will stoke conspiracy theories until their base marches on the Capitol and storms the the, the House of Government. I mean, okay, this is okay, not okay. the behavior right. of a party you can work with, right? That's, that's, okay, so, okay, so I, think I think you made a very broad generalization. I mean, okay, I mean, first okay, off, this is the this first, is the first election, election that the Republicans have done this. So this is... Well, there's also the 2000 election with Gore in which the Supreme Court struck down... Yeah, but that's not like the Republican Party was going out and saying, you know... Well, Jeb oh, Bush, the Republican governor of Florida, purged voter rolls mere weeks before the election actually happened. Yes, but that was a totally different... Yeah, but that's not the same thing. That's, an, that's a blatantly anti-democratic maneuver. But the point being that, you know, I don't want... I want to emphasize, not every Republican is a fascist. But the Republican Party as an organization is fascist. It supports a fascist. Or at at least least enabling fascism. fascism. No, I'd say they're fascist. Now, again, that should not be that I should emphasize. It's not that every single Republican is in and of themselves ideologically fascist. It's that for all intents and purposes, the Republican Party is fascist. They repeat fascist rhetoric. They support fascists. And they do things fascists do. I mean, at some point, you got to call a spade a spade, you know? What's a fascist? Uh, Explicitly anti-institution, explicitly anti. Uh, uh, basically, if you here, let's go. Through, let's go through the grocery list. No, you here. I can actually pull up the grocery list right here. A strong sense of nationalism. God, God dare. dare. Yeah. Okay. Patriotism revolves around the defeat of a common threat or cause. Basically, there's like there's a common enemy to be feared at all times. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's the deep state. Human rights are unworthy of consideration or respect. Yes, multiple times Trump and his Republican lackeys have talked about how police officers shouldn't respect the rights of people who they're arresting. Um, Trump, of course, got a lot of press in the 2016 GOP primaries for talking about how he's going to bomb terrorist families. That was a thing he said. Government-controlled mass media. Now, this is not the case, but that's how checklists work. So, is the GOP, however, the party in power? No longer. So, it does not make sense for them to have the control of uh, mass media. Glorification and ascendancy of the military. This is true. We accept this, right? Yeah. yeah. So then, I mean, fixation on national security? Absolutely. They're constantly terrified of the borders being breached and America being assaulted. Power of corporations is preserved and protected? I mean, yeah. Power for labor unions is suppressed? Are you kidding me? Widespread sexism? This is a, they literally, their presidential candidate was a man who confessed to rape. Um, Fixation with crime and punishment? The, they ran on law uh, and order. We are the, we are the po- 
party. contempt for academia oh. and the arts? Come on! They have been, they have shown nothing but contempt for academia and okay, the arts. Literally just Google. It's fine. Framing as a checklist, but these are all... The government and religion are strongly connected to each other? Evangelicals literally believe Trump is chosen by God. And these... widespread corruption? Guys, Jared Kushner was going to make peace in the Middle East because he was the president's son-in-law. And counterfeit elections? Yeah, the Republicans have just moved to invalidate an election. I mean, is that is that a fascist? I mean, okay. we, we, I, I mean, okay. So, okay. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. But look, this is this this discussion isn't about you know. We're not no, no, no. At what point would they be fascist, Muhammad? Do they need to say they're fascist? Hold on. When I think of right? Of one church, right? The state is above all. That's yeah. And I mean, I mean, I don't see Trump law, and the Republican Party even doing that. Law and what do you mean? What, what do you mean the state is above all? Because I mean, fascism well, is a little bit more than that, right? Yeah. It's not just the... no, 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 listen, this is what it is. Because the look, idea is Muhammad. that in the economic sphere, in the private sphere, whenever Muhammad. you are living, the state is what you must worship. Okay, but you do worship America. Look, look, look. No, it kind of does matter because if we, because that's my whole argument was that if we fail to recognize that the Republican Party is fascist, we will never be able to solve the problem. We're not in the International Criminal Court. We're not in the Hague. We're not here to indict the Republican Party for being fascist. And they've also established a precedent in American democracy, a precedent that in most countries can never be reversed, and that is the precedent. Uh, of rejecting electoralism, which I myself don't really believe in. Um, wow, Harry. So we will have to also recognize that our political system is inadequate. For a long time, we've recognized our Senate, our House does nothing. Repu Americans haven't really known what to do with it. But Trump and his followers clearly have discovered one method. And therefore, Democrats must also embrace not, 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 not rallies and like marching out and destroying things. I'm saying uh, direct action, to use an anarchist term. And what I believe is should be the primary tool of direct action is striking. I What we see is, as mentioned before, is that the Republican Party maintains its hold on power through uh, dubious electoral laws and various other methods employed to ensure lower voter turnout. However, one thing that is remarkably hard to suppress is a strike. And I would say that what the American people need to do is they need to put, if ever again a Republican Party, the Republican Party comes into power, is they need to put direct pressure on the Republican Party by conducting strike after strike after strike endlessly to make sure that no dangerous part of their agenda can go through. In the 1930s, uh, and also the Democrats also need to embrace obstructionism. In the 1930s, the CEDA, the, basically the precursor, to the fascist party of nationalist Spain, won a majority of the seats in the Spanish Cortes Generales. However, the left-wing parties uh, were smart and made sure that they were shut out of government for one year, I believe. And that is smart. The Democratic Party needs to make sure that their primary aim, above all, should be shutting the Republican Party out whenever it can. And uh, the other prong of that is the people also need to make sure to take that into their own hands. If the Republicans aren't going to expect respect electoralism as uh, the conduit for the people's voice, then the people need to express their voice directly through primarily strikes or civil disobedience or related nonviolent direct action. I mean, that's, I know, that's good and all, but, but the problem is, I mean, that's all well and good, but... The thing is here that, I mean, that's it's an it's an ideal. The American people aren't going to strike, and the Democrats, no matter how hard they try, won't be able to somehow destroy the Republican Party by just shutting them out of government. That will probably be the first incitement to civil war. I mean, we need to come back to reality here. We can go on on and on as is our favorite routine of debating ideological definitions, uh, various. Uh, theory, praxis, whatever. But the reality here is very simple. The Republican Party has pulled... The Republican Party in 2016 pulled Desperate Hail Mary. They're a party of the rich trying to survive in America they have made poor. Well, 
than the Democrats. And, you know, they used the old favorites, racism, sexism, whatever it took. Demagoguery, it got them there. And now they're reaping the world. And they, they have sown the wind, and now they're reaping the whirlwind. What we need to focus on right now is what Joe Biden can even do right now to correct this listing ship. Obviously, we can turn to obstructionism, sure, but obstructionism is what got us in this place in the in, in is what got us here in the first place. And what comes next is that we, Joe Biden, is a clinocrat. He's a moderate, and moderates, unfortunately, are some of the most ballsless politicians in history. They have, they have always, they always were, and they will always will be. So now, what actions? Realistically, will this moderate president take to make America a more normal place, if that can even be defined? What what is what is Biden going to do? What can we do? Because we're not Biden. We're not inside his head. We can't we can't tell him to you know commit to extravagant reform. We can't tell him. We can't fiat any of that shit. The only thing we can assume is that Biden will be another Clinton. And what do we do with that? Well, I think the first thing we have to recognize is that, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but perhaps I did not make myself sort of clear first. I think the first step is, you know, in the first step when you're an alcoholic, the first step is to recognize you have a problem. And as as, as the American people, we need to be able to recognize that Joe Biden is nothing but an obstructionist. He's basically a Republican from 20, 30 years ago. He's not helpful. He will never get anything done unless he is dragged kicking and screaming. He should be seen as an obstacle. And the Republican Party should be seen as the reason why you take an obstacle. It's, in the, man, in the words of the man himself, like getting shot in the leg rather than getting shot in the heart. And I think that's what we have to do, first and foremost. Before anything else, we have to remember that Joe Biden will never do anything. He has to be, I honestly have to agree with Harry on using striking as a method, because quite frankly, there is no way to make Joe Biden do the right thing again, unless he is forced to. And at this point, there's nothing that can pressure Joe Biden except for something like a strike, because what has essentially been created and among many people, the, in the eyes of many people, we are going back to normal. You know, Trump was an average, you know, you know, it was a temporary, you know, we strayed from the path of American democracy. An but we can go back. An aberration, exactly. But the problem is that Trump is, you know, what was created by decades of failed American politics. And Joe Biden obviously represents those decades of failed American politics. So I think the solution has to lie. I have to agree that obstructionism and striking are basically the only ways because you're not going to get the Democrats to do anything. So the best thing you can do with the Democrats, think of the Democrats like a roadblock. The best thing you can do with the Democrats is block the Republicans' progress because they sure aren't going to do anything themselves. They will only be in the way. So the best thing you can do with them is make sure they're uh, they're in the way for the bad people. Simple as. I like how this conversation started with the Capitol uh, rioting and then turned into like, how can the Democrats succeed? I mean, look. Spoiler: look, They won't. Spoiler: Yeah, spoiler: They won't. But spoiler: This country will collapse for any of that happens. Well, spoiler: yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Biden will stand in the wreckage of the Capitol and declare that he's going to heal the soul of this nation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mean, folks. There Joe have been fifteen. Joe Biden is Joe Biden is going to stand. Joe Biden is going to be shot through the heart, and as he's dying, he's going to be like, "But I never got to heal the soul of this nation." Yeah. yeah. Biden, Where's Biden. my civility? <laughs> Biden's a career politician, but that raises the alarming proposition that Trump will return, or at least another figure like him. The specter, the specter of Trump looms over America. Okay, so I heard some interesting claims being made. Okay, so I mean, one saying Biden is not going to try to do anything that people have to like drag to drag and kicking and screaming. I mean, really? Because I thought he was planning on. You know, increasing taxes on the wealthy, introducing a public option for healthcare, introducing his, you know, watered-down version of PDP. Mansion wouldn't let it happen. Lots anyway. of, of, 
Okay, so he's going to, so what I'm trying to say is Joe Biden's going to try to do these proposals, whether or not they'll succeed. That's but that's the thing, Joe Biden knows, Joe Biden has built his entire career off promising things and then recognizing that they're politically difficult and just giving up. So he'll just yeah. give well, up. Well, he'll run into resistance okay, on my, his watered-down new deal and then walk my away. Point is, Joe Biden is going to try to get his proposals, no doubt about that. He's probably going to, you know, fail on most of his proposals, but that's, that's normal. Look, that's, but, that's but here's the thing, the Democrats like. don't have 51 senators. They have 50. That's true, yeah. The, 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 but my point is that Joe Biden is not this, like, reluctant person who doesn't want to implement like, reform. No. He has he's... reforms. They're just not as radical as you would like them to be. No, no, well, that's incorrect. Joe Biden is a moderate who wouldn't... He, he's like... Think about it this way. Imagine you're driving. Uh, imagine you're driving at night. It's 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 very dark outside, and you're struck, and you're just trying to get home. Joe Biden is the kind of driver that if his truck breaks down, he'll he'll try. He'll you know he'll push it to sixty five miles an hour. He'll drive you know at a moderate speed, seventy seventy five, maybe a little bit above that speed limit. But you know if he hits a roadblock. He's not going to fix the truck. Okay, okay. Jason, he has, he's going to do a lot of things. For one, Joe Biden, okay, I'm literally reading off of political Joe Biden's opinions, right? These are some yeah. stuff that most Americans would not agree with. Here, let me show you. Joe Biden wants to abolish capital punishment. He wants to end cash bail. He cash bail actually calls well. Cash bail has majority sense. support. That's not true. Okay, cash bail has okay, majority okay. support. He wants to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. An hour. Very popular. Very popular. I highly yeah. doubt that I spoke with 50%. No, actually, uh, that is, it is. Yeah, the fight for 15 so. movement has been very successful in mainstream. Yeah. I highly doubt that. $15 an hour for federal? Look, 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 look Muhammad, just because you don't like the working class. doesn't like the working class. No, but I mean, I, but I ask you, Muhammad, but I ask you, Muhammad, when push comes to shove, what is Joe Biden's signature political achievement that when the going got tough and it was unpopular and when it was hard, he got it done? When well, his thing is, long career. Joe Biden, well, Joe Biden, he's a good politician in the sense that he knows that trying to push for something that will not succeed is not worth your time. Social security was very politically difficult, but that's my problem, Muhammad. He's a good politician at getting elected, but he's bad at actually implementing good policy. Well, policies. <laughs> They're bad because he is... He exists merely on the political wins of the day, right? When it was prime, past that. And, but the problem is that he won't get pushed left. That's the only place he won't go. Joe Biden does not exist as someone who gets confident policy done. Joe Biden, when the political wins were tough on crime, police, bill, expand them, put more police on the streets, he passed those bills. But here's the problem. Left-leaning political movements don't reach the halls of power as easily as right-leaning movements. So ideas like, I don't know, say... Mm, police reform, he's going to, if he passes anything, it will be the barest bone kind of thing. You know, he had a kind of, he had a little call with uh, black civil rights leaders who were pressing him to make some commitments on what legislation he'd pass. He blew them off and declared that he was apparently the only one who was talking about how Charlottesville was very bad. This is not a man who is either competent or... Even if he was confident, he wouldn't get good stuff done. That, I think, has to be said. Joe Biden may still be a good politician, but he's not a, he's not working towards good things, right? I mean, it depends on what you view as good. The Look at whether or not he's working towards good things. That's basically your, your political viewpoint. But, the you know, this my point still stands. Joe Biden is working towards reforms that he believes are necessary. Things like increasing taxes on the wealthiest no. Americans. And other reforms, such as those, right? This, I mean, how clear do I need to be? It's obvious that Joe Biden is going to bring change, or at least he's going to try to bring change to America. Now, of course, he's going to have to compromise, right? He's going to be compromising with the Republicans, because Republicans don't want a lot of the reforms that Joe Biden wants. But simply put, I mean, if, okay, if we had, like, Bernie Sanders, right, trying to pull through, like, whatever his policies are. He's never going to... Okay, my point is Biden, yeah, I agree. His policies are pretty dumb. But, like, if he tries to pull something very radical, well, okay, radical in comparison to what, you know, most congressmen want, then he's not going to get what he wants done. That's just a simple fact. And you have to admit it. He's going to compromise. It's just who he is, and it's what he has to do if he wants no. anything to get done. No, but hold on. That no, has I... literally been me and Harry's entire part has been about how we need to obstruct the Republican Party because... 
giving legitimacy to a movement that is anti-democratic will only lead to further anti-democratic sentiment in a country. That is my point. My point, and I believe the point if I'm not misrepresenting Harry Huang's point, is that the Republican Party needs to be isolated and that legitimizing it by compromising with it is bad. And that saying Joe Biden will compromise, it's just who he is. You're not wrong. But that is an unbelievably bad thing. Wait, you, okay, so Harry, so Harry G, Ziosuke, so you're saying Biden's gonna pull up with whatever your far left ideas, right? Uh, and pull up to the Congress and be like, "Hey, pass all this stuff." And you're saying, "Voila, he's gonna get those things done." Absolutely, nope. he's not nope. gonna get Unequivocally, those things no. done. I do not believe, he's as not. I said before, the Democrats okay. are not a vehicle for progress; they are a vehicle for obstruction. Okay, okay. Hold on. Can I get a word in, please? Thank you. Essentially, I, I think. Uh, uh, I think uh, Muhammad here and Harry have sort of misinterpreted each other's arguments. At least that's my concern. That usually happens. Yeah. I, from a third-party observer in this discussion, I, I, would, I say would say that I think both of you fundamentally agree that Biden's not exactly the most capable of candidates. If, like Muhammad, you think his agenda is far left, and if, like Harry, you think it's not left enough, I think... Uh, we both rec you both recognize the problem here, and so do I. That this is just going to be deadlock. If the the number the split right now in the Congress is fifty senators to fifty senators with one sort of uh, purple betrayal creature that we call walking around in the shape of a man that we call Joe Manchin. Um, and the question is. Because the Republicans, they're, we all know what they're going to do. They did it with Obama. How do we, is there even a possibility of avoiding a repeat of the Obama presidency when the Republicans just, like Harry said, obstructed? They, they struck, if you want to use the leftist term. They refused to do anything Obama said. They just walked out. They refused to compromise. They refused to cooperate. But if both parties do that now, yeah, it prevents anything bad from happening, but that's only because it prevents anything from happening. I mean, we've been noticing, right, recently, I think, yeah, this, I agree, this probably started even earlier, like in the 90s. I credit the Republicans with starting this escalation, actually, with New Gingrich and the contract of, uh, for America. So, but I am not, the Democrats definitely are not off the hook here. They're almost as responsible for escalation of this factionalism and partisanship. So we see, like, I, you know, we'll give examples. Like when we saw under the Obama administration, right, Republicans would repeatedly obstruct Obama's programs. And then we saw, you know, instances like Harriet Reid going out and say, you know what, we're just going to get rid of the 60, you know, filibuster for, you know, Supreme Court, uh, sorry, for federal, you know, court judges. And then that led to Mitch McConnell saying, okay, if you're going to do that, then we're just going to get, we're just not going to, you know, uh, have Merrick Garland even have a confirmation vote. In the Supreme Court, and then you can see where that's going. It's going, you know, the death spiral, right? So, you know, and then when in 2019 the Democrats got control of the House, basically, you know, no real legislation got done. Uh, well, it hasn't got done yet, uh, except for the, you know, the pandemic aid, right? So I would expect that with such a slim majority, well, it's not a majority. I mean, unless you include Kamala Harris as a tiebreaker, nothing is really going to get done. Uh, for the next two years, probably maybe just some pandemic aid and some executive reforms. But I agree with Jason. I don't think this is, uh, if Democrats want stuff done, they're going to have to wait another two years to win midterm elections. And that is exactly why we really need to reject electoralism right now. It's become abundantly clear that the American political system is not going to change ever. Uh, the founders created a Byzantine system that was intentionally as difficult to change as possible, and we are now seeing the effects of that, in that necessary, absolutely necessary reforms are impossible to pass right now. So I'll repeat what I said earlier again, is that if the people cannot see their voice being reflected in the halls of government, in Congress, if they can't see what they want getting passed there, then they will need um, to take action either on the local level or directly through strikes. Uh, a good example of striking American, a recent example, was the 2011 uh, protests, public employee protests, because many states around the country were passing extremely anti-union laws, mostly about collective bargaining. Uh, 
uh, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Sometime in some states it worked out. In Wisconsin, um, well, they they went out in Wisconsin, but that's because of the separate recall movement. But I think that what we need is we need twenty eleven again, ten years after the fact. We need another massive wave of strikes. We need um we need the strengthening of unions. We need people, uh, to begin being more politically active on local levels and in civic society. That's very important in civic society organizations, uh, in which. Uh, they are able to exert political pressure outside of the ballot box. So the ballot box is not working. Therefore, we must all find ways to exert pressure outside of the ballot box and take direct action. I mean, Subcomandante Huang here is suggesting a general strike, which you know is about what I would expect our two Harrys here on the discussion table to say. And honestly, I don't disagree. <laughs> if there could be a general strike, I would be I would be along it. I would. If I was a bit older, I'd be there as well. But let's all admit fact: it's not happening. No matter how bad, I mean, think about how bad things got have gotten in the past four years. The labor suppression and the force of capital has crushed labor so thoroughly that it barely it it, it squeaks rather than roars. And it's rather it, it any struggle of labor at this point is quixotic any ambitions at massive scale labor movements are fantasies they're phantoms so what i think right now is the only realistic course of action is for biden to assume the course of the imperial presidency whoa wait what do you mean by that or well, i mean probably biden's not the one to do it but if we wanted joe anything... biden imperial presidency no, but if if we really wanted anything done, I think we, as part of the progressive wing, have to essentially ad- adopt the strategy of flooding the chamber. What does that mean? We draft up as much legislation as possible. We did that. Don't recall? Do you not recall the twenty eighteen Democratic House majority that had up like there were like five hundred bills on Mitch McConnell's desk that he just never put to a vote. I mean, I mean, yes, yes but, but this time we have slightly more, more control. control. Hopefully, Hopefully something will get done. done. Do we? There's I mean, actually no, less support in the House. The yeah, you actually lost, lost more in the House, and what you've gained in the Senate is still not enough, especially when you, you know, consider the fact that Democrats Joe Manchin so is part of the Democratic finger quotes majority. Yeah. You, know, you know what? Democrats are, like, so weak. Like, at least Republicans are, like, they have strength. Democrats are just like, you know, I give up on the first try. That's true. And Joe Biden will be just like them. Now, that's perhaps the biggest issue, I would argue, is that the Republicans may be racist. They may represent literally no one except the top 1%. And even then, you have to go down to like a even closer. And considering they're going to literally destroy the world, uh, they basically represent nobody's interests. Um, and they're very racist. And they cheat. And they lie. And they're bad. Now, that's not to say that Democrats don't do many of those same things. But the Democrats are just comprehensively a better party. And they respect the outcomes of elections. But fundamentally, that's what I'm saying. The change that must be made is that everyone right of the GOP, uh, excuse me, everyone left of the GOP has to accept a mindset that we can't lose. That that's not to say we shouldn't respect democratic, you know, consensus, but to say that we can't stop organizing, we can't stop voting, we can't stop doing everything we can to stop the GOP because it's no longer a matter of, oh, I hope we win. Because losing is the difference between American democracy and something very different. And I think that's the critical issue, is that why I keep trying to drive home the Republican Party is fascist is because if we accept the Republican Party is fascist, it would then logically follow that we need to do everything in our power to stop that party. And we do. We need to stop the Republican Party because they will destroy the world. They will destroy this country's democracy if we do not stop them. And that is what concerns me is this idea when I, what I get so frustrated about about Joe Biden is the idea that he will compromise but that you can't compromise with people who don't fundamentally agree with your values in that way fundamentally you can't compromise with someone who doesn't believe in democracy when it comes to governing a democratic country and that is my problem is this idea that we can be flexible there is no flexibility when it's the when the middle ground is between democracy and fascism. Yeah, and I think I I think I'm going to sum up this discussion right here. We've reached an impasse, and that's usually where we stop. Um, 
I don't think my discussion partners would disagree that the next two years, maybe the next four, maybe the next eight ahead of us are going to be the most challenging in the history of American democracy. Never since the ages of the Great Depression and the very onset of American democracy have we seen such a great crisis. The 50, 50, 49, 51, 51, 49 sort of ambiguous situation in the Senate and the almost as equally divided House gives rise to essentially a repeat of the obstructionist scenarios of 2018, 2016, 2012. The list goes on and on. The American government will is in deadlock and will remain in deadlock until some radical shift changes that, hopefully. But the only thing we can do right now as a, as the American people is to reject the fascist influences that are corrupting our democracy, is to answer government injustices with popular action, strike on the street, I don't know, uh, protest, mobilize, move out in force, make our voices be heard. That's the only remote recourse we have. If we can threaten the people in Washington enough, if we can make them shake in their boots, uh, make them tremble at the thought of a American, a, a second American revolution, if we can impress that fear into them, if we can, if we can make those the people in Washington afraid of what we could do to them, then we will have won. Then we will have action. Then we will have progress. You know, Jason, I actually agree with you on your last line. I, I, I didn't really agree with you with the rest of the stuff, but I agree with you on the last line. You know, I, we have liberty when the government fears the citizens, and we have tyranny when it's the other way around. Would any of the other people in our discussion? I would. I would. Well, I want to talk. I like talking. Um, so I think that that is fundamentally what I, I think that my perspective in this entire discussion has been central, has been built around one critical step that must be taken. And that is, if you want any progress in this country on any issue, you have to recognize two fundamental truths. One, the Democratic Party will not get that done on their own power. If you leave the Democratic Party alone with no pressure, they will simply sit on the status quo. And that, therefore, the Democratic Party must be pushed into doing good things, into making progress. And the second fundamental truth is we have to recognize that the GOP is no longer the party even of Reagan, of conservatives, certainly not the party of Eisenhower, and most certainly not the party of Lincoln. It is a party that supports a fascist, that uses fascist rhetoric. And we can quibble about whether it is, quote-unquote, a fascist party, but for all intents and purposes, it is a fascist party and should be treated as such, isolated and obstructed at every turn, because if we legitimize it, I repeat, the next march on the Capitol will be more numerous. So I think that is what needs to change fundamentally. We need to look at our government differently. We need to look at our government as firmly adversarial. The Democrats as loath to make progress and they must be driven to make progress. And the Republicans as fundamentally incompatible with the concept of democracy itself. Because if we don't, then we can't justify the necessary actions. And if we do not realize these two fundamental truths, then we will never be able to fix the underlying problems that are challenging our nation today. And that will destroy us if they are not addressed. What has become increasingly clear is that our current system is not tenable. In a country where the right is convinced that the left is a bunch of deep state pedos out to get their guns, and the right itself is veering further and further into, I dare say, lunacy, there cannot ever be a consensus at the national level. We cannot engage in the what the founders envisioned consensus of democracy. There cannot be consensus with a party as radical as this. In the Spanish, uh, before the Spanish Civil War, the left parties were right uh, in shutting out the CED, they're shutting out the fascist party. That was right. In the same way, on in, at least in the electoral system, we need to um, shut out the Republicans as much as possible. Democrats need to be as obstructionist as possible. However, that's not enough. Electoralism itself has failed as it usually tends to do. 
And what that means is since the Repu we know that the Democrats are the majority, the Democrats are by far the majority. The Republicans managed to get by on the fact of the quirks of our electoral system and in other cases, more blatant electoral suppression. What they cannot suppress though, is things like striking or uh, civic society organizations. And that's what people need to do is, uh, there's two parts to this, either they need to take action at their local level to really make use of local government and increase the power of local government so they can get at least what they want passed at their own local levels rather than relying on the federal government, which clearly is completely broken and ineffective and is probably never going to be effective ever again. And also engaging and also rejecting electoralism, a fundamental psychological shift, recognizing that the ballot box is not enough. In America, we like to idealize the ballot box. All these groups go out there and say, oh, your vote matters. Spoiler, your vote doesn't matter. But what does matter is uh, you not going to work, you striking, you participating in a civic society organization, you showing up at a protest. And that is what can make a difference. When your, ballot, when your vote at the ballot box doesn't matter, other things you do still matter. And politics cannot be restrained to the ballot box anymore. Politics must be engaged with that every facet of life, every facet of your life must be turned into a vehicle for political progress for this nation because we are at a precipice. And we are, we are on a thin precipice. And there are two ways we can fall. And we must fall one way. And we cannot fall to the right. And on that note, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. As always, you can catch all episodes of uh, The Swing Vote, Past and Future, on all major streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you may listen to these podcasts. And, well, I leave you with only this. The worst course of action right now is no course of action at all. And welcome to the end of the Republic. Good night.